If your ears have been attentive over the past few weeks, you would have heard me mention that I would be doing a teaching about the Lord's Day. The doctrine of the Lord's Day has been viewed by some with great delight, some with great disdain, and still others with great debate. I wonder this morning what category would you place yourself in? Do you delight in the Lord's day? Do you disdain the Lord's day? Or is the Lord's day still a matter that is up for debate in your minds? This morning, I would like to present to you an explanation and even maybe a defense and presentation of why this first day is the Lord's day and why it is a Sabbath unto the Lord. May I say to you as a disclaimer this morning, this sermon is not directed toward any one particular person in this church. Also, this sermon is not presented or directed toward anyone who is no longer at this church. And also, finally, this sermon is not presented or towards any particular group that is contrary in belief to what we are presenting today. This is for the body of Christ. This is for RBC. It is for all of us to hear, for all of us if we have heard to believe, and for all of us if we believe to obey. Let me also say that this will be the last time that I make this, this disclaimer. This sermon and every sermon that is provided at this church is always for your growth and always for your edification, never for revenge and never to uh, oust anyone, if I can say it that way. I pray that you would hear the scriptures this morning, that you would hear from one of your elders who has been charged for the care of your soul as I teach a formative lesson on the Lord's day. Last week, we learned a little bit about formative discipline and corrective discipline. I pray that this morning, our minds and our hearts would be formed and shaped not by our traditions, not by our emotions, not by the thing that most uh, suits us, but by God's holy inspired word. Why? Because God's holy inspired word is that which best suits us. I pray that this morning we would declare all that God has said in his word we will do. That, my dear brothers and sisters, that has been and still continues to be, I believe, the theme of my life. All that God has said, I will obey. And why would I say such a thing? Because, as you well know, I was, I was raised in church. I'm 40 years old now. I've known church for 40 years of my life. I have not known life without being among the people of God. And thus far, in the 20 years of my saved life, the 20 years of my saved life has been about seeing what God has said in his word and asking him for the grace and for the strength to obey it. Have there been difficulties with that? Of course. And there will continue to be. And there have been commands that I've been confronted with in God's word that I can say without a shadow of a doubt have become my delight only because of the inner workings of the Holy Spirit and not because of me. 
The Lord's Day Sabbath is one of those doctrines and one of, one of those commands that God has formed and shaped in me to delight in. Why do I say this now? Because I did not grow up with a doctrine of the Lord's Day Sabbath. I did not grow up with this being ingrained into my heart, being ingrained into my mind. It is not my tradition. We attended church on Sundays, but to my knowledge, there was no emphasis on the uniqueness of that particular day. To my knowledge, there was no, and this is no slight to my parents. Let me say that. This is what we grew up with. This was the best of what we knew at the time. This was all we understood at the time. I would charge more so the pastors of that day, but that's neither here nor there. To my knowledge, there was no call to attend to the means of grace that were provided when we gather. To my knowledge, there was no call to remember the day as being the day that Christ rose from the dead. That was practiced once a year. To my knowledge, there was no call to see our gathering as a shadow of what already is, but not yet ours fully in the consummation. To my knowledge, there was no, no, I remember this, there was no weekly partaking of the Lord's Supper. It was annually, maybe once a year, or maybe when the pastor felt like something special needed to happen, bring out the bread and wine. We gathered on Sundays because we gathered on Sundays. The way it was. Little ones, you may be sitting here this morning and not have an understanding of why we're here today and on this day. In terms of uniqueness, we gathered on Sundays because that's just what we did. We could have gathered on Tuesdays and it would not have made much of a difference. In my former tradition, we also gathered on Sunday evenings. That was until... The attendance dwindled down so that it caused the leaders of that day to cancel the services altogether because it just was not worth gathering. Like many of you, Wednesday nights or midweek services were a commonplace also in my former tradition. It was uh, the more casual gathering of the saints. And at some point it became law to also gather on Wednesdays. For certain, though, Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings were the most attended in our family. But Sunday mornings were also flexible. All things had the freedom to take precedence over the gathering of the saints on Sundays. Vacations would take precedence, and we had many. I remember those trips to Laguna Beach. Family gatherings and parties also could take precedence, and there were some of those. Sporting events and activities played or watched, there were a few. Or just not going because I don't want to go today and I don't have to. For my own self, I can think of many of those. My parents, as we grew older, would leave my, my brother and I at home. They would travel to prisons across the state, and I was charged with the responsibility of caring for my younger brother and making sure that we at least went to church or we got up on time. 
as I grew and began to study God's word for myself, I began to develop the, the belief that gathering with the saints for worship was not as important as my own personal devotion to God. That what was most important was my own devotion to God, my own fellowship with God. I would find a secluded place in the city or outside the, the outskirts of Bakersfield. And I would take my guitar and I would take my Bible and I would read God's word and sing to him. And I would have my own time of church. I was my own church. And I felt no guilt and I felt no shame. Because I thought I was doing a spiritual thing. In ignorance, I believed that I was honoring the Lord. When in fact, I was acting in selfish disobedience to God. And what's the point of saying all of this? The point is that God's word has shaped my understanding of this day. I hope that you have seen in my tradition, it's not been a, a thing that was emphasized. And also in my own ignorance, in my own personal studies of God's word, I began to think I can have my own church. So what we are teaching this morning, what I am teaching this morning, does not come from someone who was raised with a high view of the Lord's day. Nor does it come from someone who was raised as a Sabbatarian. No. God's spirit. And I say these things also because maybe some of us this morning may have some of those also same misunderstandings and misconceptions. God's spirit has been correcting and conforming my soul to his word. And by his grace, he has brought me to see the delight in the Lord's day Sabbath. And I pray that he would be so kind to you this morning as to show you the same Grace, so that you might understand, receive, and obey God's word today. Now then, the Lord's day. I wonder if you realize that more so-called believers have left this church and other churches. More have left this church and other churches over the doctrine of the Lord's Day Sabbath than they have left over the doctrine of limited atonement. If you don't know what limited atonement it is, it is, it is a very controversial doctrine. More have left over, am I required to attend services on the Lord's Day than over did Jesus die for every single person? Should the people of God have such hostility, for that is what it is, over a day that has been set apart as belonging to God and for the worship of God. What is more, most of their hostility springs forth from personal preferences, unchallenged traditions, or misunderstandings on key text regarding the Lord's Day Sabbath. I say this to, to every single person that I have the opportunity to interact on this issue with. You have to challenge your traditions. You have to ask yourself, is what I have always believed true, or am I only believing it because it's just what I've always done, and it's what makes me comfortable? I said last week, don't you want to be better? Don't you want to be better to tomorrow than you are today, then that means constantly things in our lives are going to have to be challenged and checked. 
by God's word. Brothers and sisters, what is the Lord's day? Why is the first day declared the Lord's day? And what connection does the Lord's day have with the Sabbath? It is these questions and much more, hopefully, that we will seek by the help of the Holy Spirit to answer this morning. Let me say this. We will not deal with the evidence of the Sabbath from the Gospels, from the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments, or from creation. Why? Well, those are important and necessary factors to consider. But truth be told, I have already dealt with this doctrine over the course of six sermons, plus one by Pastor Isaiah, interestingly enough, exactly two years ago to this day. So for more in-depth information or, or, a, or for a more in-depth treatment on this subject that we're talking about this morning, I recommend that you go back and listen to those sermons. And I also have a plethora of books that I can recommend to you on reading particular doctrines or, or individuals on this subject. So today, <clears throat> I, I would like to approach this doctrine of the Lord's Day in a different way than I did the first time. The first time I taught this, I reasoned from the beginning of the scriptures, that is Genesis, to the end of the scriptures, Revelation. This morning, I would like to do the reverse of that, but not all the way to Genesis. Today, we will work from the book of Genesis or Revelation backward through the scriptures. Consider it as beginning at the top of a mountain and let's begin walking our way down it. We will use the reform principle of interpreting the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And we will see that the Lord's day, Lord willing, is a new covenant ordinance. So number one, the first day described as the Lord's day. Let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter one and verse 10. Uh, Deacon Ray, would you mind pushing the, the air up? Just one, brother. Thank you, brother. Revelation chapter one and verse one. This is John, the apostle, receiving a revelation as he is on the island of Patmos. He was exiled there uh, as, a, as a way of silencing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to the seven churches in Asia, Asia Minor that is, and here's what he said in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. That was Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. There are really two questions that we need to ask and answer about Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10 if we are going to see its significance. Now, what is the reference of the phrase, the Lord's day, in this verse? What is it referring to? And because this is the only use of the phrase in the New Testament, we must ask, what day of the week is John then referring to and why? Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you've noticed in reading this passage that John does not say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Followed by, you know, Sunday. Do you see that? John does not say, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You know what day I'm talking about, the Lord's Day, Sunday. John doesn't do that. Why? 
little ones, you see what the Bible says there. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What, what is the Lord's day? He doesn't tell us what day is the Lord's day. Why doesn't John tell us what day is the Lord's day? Well, let me ask the little ones this, this uh, question here. Uh, little ones, what day do you go to school? What's the first day that you go to school? On what's the first day? After tomorrow, what day do you go to school? What's that day? Say, that, say it out loud. A Monday. So if I said to you, little ones, oh, I was in school on the first day of school, you would most likely assume that the first day of school would be Monday and that all the kids know that Monday is the first day of school because all kids know and dread Monday as being the first day of school, right? We all dread it for, for, for whatever reason. We, the, the, the state has changed it to Wednesday, but that's neither here nor there. We mostly know that the first day is, is Monday. John assumes that what is meant by the Lord's day, the phrase, is obviously understood by the seven churches of Asia. Meaning this, whatever John meant by the phrase the Lord's day, John knew that the churches knew what he meant. Therefore, he does not explain what the Lord's day is because they know what the Lord's day is. Does that make sense? He assumes that there is a Lord's day. And also that everyone in those churches knows exactly what day he is referring to. So then, how are we to, dis to discover what day is the Lord's day that John is referring to? How do we get to know, if they knew, how do we get to know what day was the Lord's day? The answer is we get to, or we must, look to the rest of the scriptures for that answer. And here's a question we should ask. Is there a day that is uniquely set apart in the Old Testament and that could be referred to as the Lord's? Is there a day that is uniquely identified as being altogether different from all the other days in the New Testament? The answer is yes, there is a day. Now, in reference to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, some had said, have said, the Lord's Day is Easter. That's what John is referring to. I saw one of my young men look at me and say, that's kind of weird. Why? It can't, be the, the, it can't be Easter because Easter was not practiced during that time, and Easter is never even mentioned in the Bible. So it could not be Easter. Some say uh, it's the Lord's Day is the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ. So some are saying that in, John, in Revelation 1, 1, John, 1, 10, John is saying the Lord's day is actually the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord's return or the day of judgment. That's what others have said. But that doesn't make sense. Why? Well, because we're still here. It can't be that the day of the Lord in the sense of the day of judgment, the day of the Lord's return, because we're still here. Brothers and sisters, it would be amazing if what John meant by the phrase, the Lord's day, was only known by those seven churches and no one else. After all, John inserted this phrase under the assumption that they knew exactly what day he was referring to. So, thankfully, we are not left in the dark. 
let me give some help in, refer, in reference to day of the Lord. In the scriptures, there are at least, here it is, 86 references to the day of the Lord. It's either the day of the Lord or in that day the Lord, right? Most of the time, it's speaking about the day of judgment or a day when God will actually perform something that he's been promising to do. But this phrase in Revelation 1.10 grammatically is constructed differently than those 86 other references. This is not the day of the Lord. Rather, the grammatical construction of it is, it is the Lord's day. Now, that may say, well, what's the difference? Day of the Lord, Lord's day. They are grammatically constructed differently so that their meaning is intended to be different. Here, in Revelation, we have John not referring to the day of the Lord, but actually to the day that belongs to the Lord, which is something altogether different. The meaning of the phrase, the Lord's day, clearly says that this day, the day that John is talking about, has a special association, listen, with the Lord. Now, in the context, and in all of the New Testament, Lord refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is not saying, this is the day of the Lord in the sense that it's the day of judgment. He's also not saying, this is the day of the Lord in the sense that God is, Christ is returning to judge and take us into the consummation, into glory. John is saying, this is a unique day that belongs to the Lord. Lord in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's something that is uniquely set apart for Christ. It is especially associated with Christ and especially identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're making a case now. We're building. We're, we're working our way down. Now, I think this begs the question, what is the day that especially is associated and identified with the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the day? What day especially and uniquely, here's, here's, a, here's a good question, what day especially and uniquely declares that Jesus is Lord. One might say, all days. Yes, dear one, all days. Even though Jesus Christ is Lord and God from all eternity and all days belong to him, there is one unique day that has been set apart in the scriptures that are especially identified with Christ and uniquely belonging to Christ. For it was... On the first day that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And in that sense, he became Lord, attaining his mediatorial power. He was declared in Romans 1, 3 and 4 to be the son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. It was by his resurrection in Acts chapter 2. That he ascended to the throne of God and to the throne of David. And on what day did all of this occur? The first day. On the first day of the week. It was the first day that Christ became Lord. And it was on the first day that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. 
Is there a day that is associated with the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer in the entire New Testament is emphatically, yes, and it is the first day of the week. When John was in the Spirit, when he received this vision, when he wrote to the seven, seven churches of Asia, it was on the Lord's day, the first day. It was on that day, and it is on this day, that until the Lord returns, it is uniquely associated as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, for it was on the first day that Christ rose from the dead and declared that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. In our next point, we shall consider scriptural references to the first day and the significance and its significance. But to close this point, let's go even higher up the mountain if we can. I know we, we said we walked down a little bit. Let's, let's go back up just a few more steps. Consider the, the, this historical point from the early church and their observance of the first day of the week, referring to it as the Lord's Day. Have you ever wondered... Once the last epistle was written, or once the book of Revelation was finally closed, what happened to the church after that? You ever wondered, what happened when the apostles died? Who came after them? Who were the men that carried on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who were the men who carried on the teachings of the apostles? There was a book I have it in my, my bookshelf. There is a book written between 80 A.D. and 120 A.D. called the Didache, which is a collection of the Lord's teachings through the apostles to the nations. In that book, there is a reference to the Lord's day. And it is clear in that book, the Didache, that what is meant by the first day of the week or what is meant by the Lord's day is the first day of the week. That is as early as 80 A.D., to 120 A.D. What does that mean? That means almost 40 years, 50 years after the death of Christ, the early church is seeing the first day of the week as the Lord's day. Men like Polycarp, who was, an, uh, who was a, a disciple of John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, are carrying on a tradition that says the first day of the week is the Lord's day. Consider Ignatius of Antioch. He was on his way to Rome because he was going to be martyred. And leading up to his death, he wrote seven letters around the year 110 A.D. And in his letters, he refers to the Lord's Day. And what day is the Lord's Day? He says it is the first day of the week. Consider later in the second century, uh, Dionysius of Corinth and Tertullian of Carthage referred to the first day of the week as being the Lord's Day. We see not only in John's writings, but also in the early church that they practiced and believed that the first day of the week was the Lord's day and it was to be set apart for worship unto God. The fact of the matter is, the scriptures declare this, the early church declare this, and we know from a number of other references that the first day of the week is the Lord's day. But I believe that we can still give more supporting evidence to this significance of the first day of the week and its uniqueness of being the Lord's day. Number two then. The Bible's distinction of the first day in the New Testament. The, the Bible is distinctly using the first day over and over again. Let's read Revelation again. I was in the Spirit. I'm not there. 
Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to be turning to a number of passages, so have your Bibles handy. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet of a trumpet saying, and the Lord Jesus speaks from there. I believe that we have established that John is speaking about the first day of the week, but the question is, what is distinct about the first day of the week? Why the first day of the week? The meaning of this distinction is found in the distinctive word here used. Uh, when John says lords, it is the Greek word kuriokos. It is a possessive word, meaning it is used to point out that this day particularly belongs to the Lord. John uses a word that says it's the Lord's. Kuriokos, meaning it is a possessive word. It belongs to him. John is stating that the Lord's day belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that other days do not. Let me say, all days belong to the Lord. Yes, all days belong to the Lord. But this day especially belongs to the Lord. We're going to make another connection to that in just a moment. If this is not true, then the language that John is using about it being the Lord's day, it means nothing. If what we are just saying right now about it being uniquely belonging to the Lord, if it, it is not uniquely belonging to the Lord, then John is wasting words. And John is wasting phrase, phrases. And it's not unique. No. It's, it's not wasted. It's intentional. It's the Lord's day. Not because the early church arbitrarily chose to say so. There was a man who I greatly respect who said to me, to my face, and he has a, a na not nation, worldwide ministry. It's the Lord's day because the early church historically practiced that and for no other reason. Is the Lord's day the Lord's day because the early church said so? No, not, not, not so much. The Lord's day is the Lord's day on the basis of, here it is, divine apostolic authority. We'll speak more about that in a moment. All days belong to the Lord, yes, but this day especially belongs to the Lord. And if we treat it like all other days, then we fail to honor the Lord's day as we have been commanded to. The distinctive word, Lord's, as something possessively belonging to the Lord. How many times do you think it occurs in the Bible? Twice. In the New Testament, something that is uniquely the Lord's only occurs two times in the entire New Testament. The only other place where the word Lord's as something belonging to the Lord is used is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In regards to or in reference to the Lord's Supper. It has been ordained and instituted by Christ. It is a supper that uniquely belongs to the Lord. It's not like all other suppers. Now don't you pray before you eat? All of us do that I think. Even the little ones we all pray. Uh, God is great. God is good. God is gracious. Thank you for this food. Amen. You know, we know that, that common prayer, right? But is the... 
food, that little ones you were getting from Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, is that the same meal that belongs to the Lord who's given it to you? Is that the same meal as the one that we have here in front of all of the saints? Little ones, you know, you know that for whatever reason, you're not allowed to come here yet. Why? Because it's, it's a meal that uniquely belongs to the Lord and his saints. It is the meal where the Lord fellowships with his saints. And little ones, we encourage you, aspire to that. Little ones, we are, I'm looking at you this morning. Ask mommy and daddy, what must I do to come to the table? Uh, and you might be older, like I'm looking at my nephew and my niece who are older. Ask your, brother, your, your father and your mother, what must I do to come to the table? Because th- this is a unique meal. And it belongs to Christ and his saints. It is the supper, at the supper, where Christ communes with his saints and where we commune with him. It is an ordinance of the new covenant. And brothers and sisters, I submit to you that the same is true of the Lord's day. It is an ordinance of the new covenant. It's the Lord's day. The Lord's Day finds its origin in the word of Christ, its regulation in the word of Christ. It has been uniquely recognized by the apostles who were led in all truth as being set apart by the Lord as being his unique day. There are three significant distinctions conferred or placed upon the first day of the week in in the New Testament. Here they are. There is the particular mention And the insistence upon the fact that Christ rose from the dead on the first day. Let me say it in in a simpler way. The Bible over and over again keeps saying Christ rose on the first day. Over and over again, the Bible keeps saying Christ rose on the first day. Dear ones, have you ever noticed that the Bible mentions that Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, carefully and specifically? Five times in the Gospels. No big deal. Five times, big deal, right? Let's put this into perspective in terms of uh, what the Bible is emphasizing. Do you know how many times the Bible mentions the second day of the week in the New Testament? Zero times. Do you know how many times the Bible mentions the, the third day of the week in the New Testament? Ready for it? Zero times. Okay. Uh, surely the fourth, fifth, and sixth day, and, and, and on, those have got to be mentioned more than once, right? Zero times. The Bible goes to great lengths to say over and over again, the first day, the first day, the first day. The Bible never mentions second, third, or fourth, or fifth, or sixth. In the New Testament, that is. Do the scriptures do anything unintentionally? Is there anything random in the scriptures? No, there is not. Not at all. There is a specific emphasis on this first day. Big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. There is no other day that is uniquely emphasized like the first day is emphasized. Let's go to the second sub point. There are consequent distinctions conferred upon the first day by the resurrected Christ. So meaning this, Jesus does things on the first day that are emphasized as being done on the first day. So, first one is the Bible emphasizes five times that Christ rose from the dead. The Bible then is going to emphasize things that Christ does on the first day after he has risen from the dead. 
Go to John chapter 20, please. My wife told me after last week's sermon, slow down. You got all these points. Slow down. Take your time. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. John chapter 20 and verse 1 states that it was what day of the week when Christ rose from the dead? John chapter 20 and verse 1. The first day. It was the first day. But then go to John chapter 20 and verse 19. So when it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Christ has rose from the dead. The disciples are, are running and hiding in fear. Fear of the Jews. Fear that they too will be executed like Christ was executed. They are inside of a room that will later become the room where the tongues of fire are surrounding them. They are in this room. They are shut up. They are hiding. The door is shut, meaning the door is locked and closed. And standing in their midst is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, peace be with you. The Bible says that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit and they were gifted with the Holy Spirit. But there was a problem. Guess what the problem was? And it's almost comical, but the Bible, this is one of the reasons why the Bible can be re relied upon, because the Bible emphasizes, but Thomas wasn't there. <laughs> I read this the other night. How funny is that? Jesus did this wonderful thing. They were hiding. Uh, uh, the door was locked. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Thomas wasn't there, though. John chapter 20, verse 26, after eight days... The, the Jews, they count that day, that first day, as being a day. And so eight days later would be on the first day again. His disciples were again inside. Scene is repeated all over again. But do you know what the Bible says with a comma? Look at your Bible. Don't look at me. And Thomas was with them. So Thomas missed the first meeting. The Bible says in verse 26, but then Thomas showed up. So Jesus wants to make sure that Thomas doesn't miss out on the giftedness of the Holy Spirit, that he is going to send them out into the nations with the gospel. Jesus came, the doors being, having been shut, stands in their midst and says it again, peace be with you. Now, there was one person who heard what everybody said last week. Jesus came. He was in our midst. The door was locked and he was there. I don't believe you guys. There's no way. So he does it again. And what does Thomas say while Jesus is in their midst? I can't believe this is happening. Unless I can put my... Jesus said, go ahead, and go ahead. And he does the same thing that he did the first day of the week, the week before. He shows up again on the first day of the week. John chapter 21 verse 14 tells us that there was a third time that Christ appeared to them, and he appears to them on the beach. This does not give us the freedom to say, oh, so we can go to the beach on the Lord's day? No, that's not what the Bible is saying. <laughs> nice try. But rather that Christ met with his people on that first day. What were the disciples doing? They were learning something about the uniqueness of this particular day. He met with them on the beach for a third time. And we can assume rightly that that third meeting, just like the prior two, previous two, was on the first day of the week. What is more? You want more? The day of Pentecost, when Christ fulfills Joel's prophecy and pours out his spirit upon the nations. What day of the week does it take place on? Wednesday. 
first day. The first day of the week. The great manifestation of the Lordship of Christ upon His church happens on the first day of the week. We have two passages that also tell us that all of this was not lost on the disciples of Christ because they realized that what this meant was that they should remember the first day of the week as being designated as the day that uniquely belongs to the Lord. Therefore, they began to gather and worship on that day. This is found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. The apostle Paul says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered, that word gathered is when we ecclesia, or when we assembled. Who's we? The church. When we assembled on what day? The first day. To do what? Paul says to break bread and Paul began to talk to them or preach to them. They partook of the Lord's Supper and Paul preached a sermon. Paul preached them to death. Literally, there was a man sitting on a windowsill and he fell over dead. Paul went down, rose him from the dead and went back to preach. On the first day. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. On the first day of the week when each of you... Uh, on the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection may be made when I come. They are gathering on the first day of the week, and Paul is saying that when I come, have your offerings ready so that you don't need to go home and get your money. Have your offerings ready for collection. Paul is saying not only in Troas are they meeting for worship on the first day, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says that the church of Galatia is also meeting on the first day. Because the same instructions that were given to the church of Corinth were also given to the church of Galatia. Paul said that he gave the same instructions for their worship on the first day of the week. Now, this might be a question that you might have. Did the apostles, did they have the right to begin worshiping on this first day rather than the seventh day? As it was initially or originally commanded by God. The Sabbath. Did they have the right to change the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, from Saturday to Sunday? Uh, a book recommended, me, recommended to me by Pastor Isaiah. It's a great book. It's called, uh, by, it's by Nicholas Bound, Bound, The True Doctrine of the Sabbath. Here's what he says on this point. The point is, did they have the right, the apostles, to change the day? I'm going to read this very slowly. Now, seeing the altercation was made in the apostles' time, and they did yield unto it by their practice, by whom can we imagine that this should be done but by them who had the Spirit that led them into all truth, John sixteen thirteen? Then by them who for their excellent gifts were able to see further into all things than all the churches besides. Meaning, they had a better understanding of we would have today. They had a better understanding of what day should be the day. What else? Who for their apostolic authority could prevail more than any other who were appointed by Christ to be chief builders and planters of the churches, both in doctrine and in discipline. Meaning this, if anyone is going to change it, who else has the authority to change it? If anyone is going to teach the church how we should practice, who else but those who the Bible says, in these last days Christ has spoken to us by his spirit. Yes, but he has also spoken to us by his apostles, who are the chief builders, who are helping us understand how we live and practice 
in the church. The church father, Augustine, also has no problem with this matter. The apostles and men of apostolic authority, they did ordain this day in the church. Christ set this day aside by the unique occurrences. And the apostles recognized this as being the inauguration of the new Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. For all those reasons, we see the consummate distinctions for which the Lord's Day is conferred in the New Testament as being the first day of the week. And now, I just call it a Sabbath, didn't I? How am I calling it a Sabbath? Well, let's finish with our last point. The point is the Lord's Day and its connection to the Sabbath of the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, recall what I said at the outset of this sermon. This is not coming from one who was raised according to uh, what I believe now today. The understanding of my tradition is completely contrary to what I'm teaching you today. The Word of God has shaped my understanding. And also men far more superior to me in intellect have helped me to understand it. There is an indisputable connection between the phrase, the Lord's Day, and the Old Testament Sabbath. Not just one connection, here we go, and they're going to go quickly, but seven connections. Briefly, here they are. The designation, Lord's Day, clearly alludes to the biblical phrases which tie it to the Sabbath. It means this, the Lord's Day and the way the Bible speaks about it, it's connected to the Sabbath. Listen to this, Isaiah 58, 13 calls the Sabbath my holy day, the holy day of the Lord. If there's, listen, if there's any point you should start paying attention, pay attention. If you have any dispute, let this speak for itself. Let this speak for itself. Let me say that again then. Isaiah 58, 13 calls the Sabbath my holy day, the holy day of the Lord. Matthew chapter 12 verse 8 gives a parallel to that verse when Matthew says that Jesus said that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Do you see that? God says the Sabbath is my holy day. Jesus says and I'm the Lord of it. It is impossible to think that Matthew would not write something like this and not see the Sabbath of the Old Testament connected to Christ and what he is saying in the New Testament. Listen to this. It's also impossible for one second to think that John would use the phrase the Lord's Day as a Jew and not directly connect that phrase to the Sabbath of the Old Testament. For you and I, it's completely and entirely possible for us to make a complete separation from what the Old Testament says about the Sabbath and what the New Testament says about the Sabbath. Why? Because we're not Jews. We have been raised in that community, not been raised in that context. So when John is saying the Lord's Day, he means something altogether different than what you and I might automatically assume by the Sabbath. When John says the Lord's Day, he is no doubt connecting that to the Sabbath. Why? Because John, as a Jew, knows the special significance that is attached to the Sabbath, and he therefore knows the special significance that is attached to the Lord's Day. If we knew our Bibles like a Jew then we would too. And I didn't even mean for that to rhyme. People argue whether the Sabbath was the Lord's day 
or whether the Lord's day is a Sabbath. But there is no question that the Sabbath was the Lord's day. You hear that? People argue, was the Lord's day a Sabbath or whether the Lord's day is a Sabbath? But there is no question that the Sabbath was the Lord's day. Here's the second point. Like the Sabbath and unlike other religious observances, the Lord's day is a celebration, the celebration of a of one day. Weekly occurrence. One day we forgot the outward and conspicuous similarities between the Lord's day and the Sabbath. Think about this. We're talking about connections here. A pedo Baptist, they argue that circumcision and baptism are so much alike. Well, when we break them down, they're actually so much not alike. Why? One is bloody. One is wet. One is for males. The other is for all who believe. One is an Old Testament sign of the Abrahamic covenant. The other is a sign of the new covenant. They are, I can go further and further, but I'm not going to. They are not alike. The argument goes deep for that case for their similarities, but they're not similar. But when it comes to the Sabbath, they are so similar. They are so similar. Well, how, Pastor Antonio? Each one involved a religious observance of one day of the week. Each one involved God's word being expounded, expounded by the people of God or to the people of God. Each one involves some type of psalm singing. Each one involves a corporate gathering. Each one involves bringing offerings. Each one involves looking unto a sacrifice. Each one involves resting, and the list goes on and on and on. Well, to say that they are not alike, and to say that the two are not pointing to one another, it's biblically dishonest or biblically ignorant. Third, like the Sabbath, the Lord's day, Pastor Isaiah spoke about this this morning, is the memorial. In Exodus chapter 20, we are told the Sabbath is a memorial of what? Creation. Moses says through God, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. Why? Because in six days the Lord created the earth and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, it is set apart to be a holy day unto the Lord. It's, mem- it's, mem- it's memorializing the, the creation o- account. But it's also a memorial of redemption. For in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we are told that the Sabbath is a, remor- a, mem- a memorial of the Exodus redemption from Egypt. So it's in two ways a memorial of the Old Testament. It's a memorial of creation and it's a memorial of redemption. Now think about this. Is the Lord's Day are we are we, we memorializing anything? What do we remember? What do we remember on this day? It is a memorial of the new creation and a greater redemption. As a memorial of creation, it celebrates that the day when Christ came out of the grave, he brought all those whom he represented out of the grave as well. Therefore, we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. It is also the day that we memorialize our redemption that was purchased for us by Christ. It is the day of redemption. Don't we remember on this day that Christ has redeemed us? Don't we want to hear each Lord's Day the gospel? Why? Because we are remembering what Christ has done for us. It is the day in which the new creation began. 
Jesus was, the, Jesus was the first fruits of those who sleep. The apostles preached that Jesus Christ was the first of the resurrection of the dead. And that it was because of the resurrection of the dead that Christ has made us new creations in him. The Lord's Day, like the Sabbath, is also a memorial of our redemption. We've been redeemed in Christ. If you have an argument about this, this should be the time to listen. When Christ went to the cross, we were purchased by his blood and released from our bondage of sin. So the Old Testament, the Sabbath is a memorial of creation and it is a memorial of redemption. And so the Lord's Day is a memorial of our being a new creation in Christ Jesus and being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Fourthly, I think, like the Sabbath, the Lord's Day is especially a day belonging to God. We've gone through this point, but since the reference is to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, we have a day belonging to God in a, in a way that no other days belong to God. It's the essence of what the Sabbath is. The phrase, my Sabbath, occurs 16 times in the Old Testament. The phrase, the Sabbath of the Lord, occurs four more times. A Sabbath to or for the Lord is mentioned four more times, or at least 25 times in the Old Testament. The Sabbath is identified as a day that belongs to the Lord. Thus, the New Testament, Lord's Day, is the same in essence as the Sabbath. Same in essence meaning what? It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Let's go on to the fifth one. Like the Sabbath, the Lord's day is a holy day. How did we get here? A holy day. What's the definition of holiness? Set apart. When something is holy, it especially belongs to God. What's the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. We can say the same about the Lord's day. It's a memorial. Remember it. How do you, do, how do you remember it? Set it apart. Set it apart. And because it's the Lord's day, we can say keep it holy. If today was your birthday. Uh, some of you have to work on your birthdays. <laughs> but if today was your birthday, wouldn't you feel at least, I know that as we get older we don't care. But, but if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little part of us that still says, but it's my birthday. Right? There's a, we might not want to acknowledge, but there's a little part of it that says, oh, it's my birthday. Right? No matter what happens on that day, something negative, you still want to say under your breath, and, and, and though you want to be humble about it and want no one to know, you still know in your own heart. Oh, but it's my birthday. Right? And it's in a sense set apart. It's, in a sense, altogether different than all other days. And it may, maybe it's not your day. Maybe it's your wife's day. Maybe it's your son's birthday or daughter or whatever that you see that day as being said. You want to do something uniquely special for them. Well, same is true for the Lord's day. And not only that, but he has commanded us what we are to do. Don't you like that? When there's a birthday and you say, well, what do you want to do for your birthday? And they say, no, I don't want to do anything. Don't do anything. Don't. And they have to think of all of the things that they've got to do for you on your birthday. Well, Christ has not left us in that state. He has told us exactly what we should do on his day. Let's move on to our, I think, sixth point. Like the Sabbath, the Lord's day is to be kept holy. 
I just made that point. If it's holy, keep it holy. Since it's uh, set apart, then we must set it apart. Let's move on to our seventh point. Like the Sabbath, the Lord's Day is a day of corporate worship. We have seen that the New Testament, that in the New Testament, uh, it makes it clear that the Sabbath is a special day of worship unto God. But there are those who say, yes, a day of worship, but only in the morning, right? Not the rest of the day. In the Bible, every day of rest was a day of worship. And every day of worship was a day of rest. Remember, these people who are receiving the text are Jews. They're not Gentiles. They know that rest is worship. And worship is rest. We cannot argue these seven lines of connection. And what about those who say, what about that passage in Romans? What about that passage in Galatians and Ephesians? Uh, Brothers and sisters, you must use those with the analogy of of Scripture and the analogy of faith. And you must also understand that those days that those Scriptures are talking about, the new moon festivals and special Sabbaths, they are not the same in nature. And I've got a whole bunch of information on that if you want to find out more information about that. Those are arguments against the Sabbath. Why does the Lord's Day, or what does the Lord's Day and the Sabbath involve? Let me close with this. Some may reject the theology that I have just laid out because of what it might require or what it will will require of them. This is the command that truly challenges our faith. Listen closely to this because it is one of the most visible commands and the one that we most can readily, readily be held accountable to. Think of our lives before God. Let me slow down. Doesn't the Lord's Day reflect our lives before God? As a whole. Doesn't reflect our lives before God. In our lives, we war against the flesh. We war against sin. We war against the world. We war against the devil. But we also have a desire to cling on to some of those things that we war against which is why some of us stop fighting against them. We know that that we are to be killing sin, and yet there's still those sins that are from our former life that we still have an affection and love for. They are those things that we have not yet yielded over to Christ. They are those things that Christ has said, put them to death. And like Saul, when Samuel came to see If he had obeyed the word of the Lord, we said, but I'm still preserving this. I can still use it maybe once in a while. The Lord's Day is often a mirror image of our lives before God and our willingness to put sin to death. We will give him our mornings, but we will not give him our evenings. Why? Not because of a disagreement of a doctrine, not because of of maybe even a desire but more so because of an unwillingness to put to death sin in our lives. Think of what is offered in our evening worship. Prayer. Prayer. The reading of God's word with the saints. Throughout the week, when you go to work, you're praying with anybody. You get to do that on the Lord's Day with saints. Throughout the week, 
you go to work or among whoever, do you get to read the board with anybody? Maybe your family, hopefully. But you get to do it with other like-minded believers here. You get to sing songs to God. You sing with anybody throughout the week. You know what's a command to sing? The word is preached. And if the word is preached rightly, it is Christ speaking directly to you. Oh, let me go even a step further. The Lord's Supper is offered. Oh, and it is there that we commune and fellowship with Christ. We'll take the Lord's Supper tonight. Even though we will be having a fellowship meal, the Lord's Supper is here. Don't, don't neglect that. And we also fellowship with the saints. You may say, I, I, I don't necessarily want to come tonight. I know. Can I say with you? Sometimes I don't either. But I know that the benefit that is there will always override what my flesh is trying to do. God has promised to be with us. And when I start to say that to myself, Christ will be there. The saints will be there. His supper will be there. Think about this. When you don't want to come, say these things to yourself. Prayer will be there. God's word will be there. Brothers and sisters, what on earth could keep us from that gathering? It's only our sin. Are there legitimate reasons for missing gatherings? At times, of course. There, there was always works of mercy and works of necessity that cause us to miss from time to time. But to altogether reject the gathering of the saints is more a reflection of our current condition of our soul than it is a rejection based upon understanding. Will you meet with your Christ? Will you fellowship with him at his table? It's the Lord's day. It's his day. And I think the challenge is that we are constantly saying, but I still want it to be mine. And isn't that the same with our lives? But I still want what I want. Brother Ray, Deacon Ray read it this morning. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Take off the old filthy garments. Put on Christ. Prayers are here. Songs unto him are here. Fellowship is here. And we are here because of him. You look around. Those who are sitting around you, we would not normally be sitting with if it were not for Christ. Do you see your duty to observe the day? And I pray at this moment your hearts are not sinking. That's not the intention of this sermon. I pray that at this moment your hearts are being raised to see that the joy that is yours in Christ. Don't sink. Rejoice. He has given you something for your nourishment, for your care, for your benefit until he returns. What will you let keep you away from worship? Is the day weary to you? Has the week been long? This is your day of rest. Rest in Christ. Do you long to return to the world? No, I hope not. 
I hope that when you're here, you say, I wish Sunday lasted all week. Well, that's what Sunday is to show us. That one day Sundays will last all week. Do you need to be dragged here? Or is there a great longing for the grace found here? Dear ones, we are all tired. Let us say to ourselves, when our flesh rises up like a flood, no, you will submit to God's word. Because he's commanded it. And because there is great joy and benefit therein. More than what will be found outside of the gathering of the saints. Delight in him. This day is for your souls. Rejoice in it. Again, I say rejoice. Let us pray.